You know, it was about uh, 20 years ago, I first read this book and it completely rocked me by a man named Leonard Sweet. It's called Aqua Church. And the basic idea of the book is that as our society seems to be going more adrift at sea and, and floating aimlessly, if you will, the need for the church to be able to adapt at sea in the big water, to turn and to move and to keep on a course despite all the rage and winds and chaos around us. I have since reread the update on this and I continue to find the book more pertinent than ever. But we do live these lives, don't we? We live this world, don't we? We live this, this culture, don't we? Where things just seem chaotic all around us. And maybe chaotic deep within us. Chaos in your own soul, just, just deep within your own heart. Or chaos within your family or what used to be your family. Or chaos in your community or home or workplace. I don't need to tell you this. You know it. You see it. We feel it. From the smallest of cross sections to the widest, most global of things. The storms rage. The waves are big. The clouds are dark. It gets terrifying at times, terrorizing at times. You wonder how you kind of cut through it all and the need for us as believers to navigate the ships that God has given us, if I can push the metaphor, to handle the big water and the big waves that are inevitability of life. There is a question that the book asks. Implicit to the story of this is, do you want to be someone who's bobbing aimlessly or charting a course towards a destination that God has in mind? And the metaphor that's set up is harbor or sea. Think about the two. Harbors are protected places. They're safe places. They're designed to be places of stability. A harbor is a place where you can find, you know, protection from the wind, protection from the waves, locked in, if you will, where you know it will be predictable and safe. A harbor is a wonderful thing. At the same time, I would argue that anyone who owns a boat would say a harbor is meant to be temporary. Can you imagine this? Put yourself in this situation. Someone invites you to go boating today. It's like 83 degrees. There's no humidity. It sounds amazing. You get the text right now. If you have a boat, um, my number is 815-403. Um, someone sends you the text right now. Hey, you want to go boating this afternoon? And you're like, man, that sounds awesome. So you get your suit. You put some stuff together. You show up. They tell you where to meet. And you find out that all you're going to do is sit in their boat in the harbor. Does it feel like a little bit of a bait and switch there, right? Can you imagine if you told your kids, hey, we're going to go boating next Saturday, and all you did was rent a boat to sit in the harbor? I can imagine this full well. I remember when I was in fifth grade, my mom and I, we went to visit her uncle out in San Diego, and their neighbor had like this, this 80-foot bay liner or something absurd. I don't even know what that means, but it was this big boat that was Pacific worthy, and they said they were going to take us on the boat. It was my first lesson in literalism. 
because what I had was this image of going out into the Pacific Ocean on this boat, spending this day. I've never been there. I never saw seals in the wild. It's going to be amazing. We floated around the harbor. The harbor can seem like such an attractive place, but can I ask, isn't it a concession prize? At the end of the day, isn't the harbor so much short of the sea? I mean, the sea is big. It's uncertain. It's unstable. It can rock you out there. People have gotten into trouble at sea. But isn't it where the growth is, the action is, the adventure and excitement? Isn't it where God is leading us? Because God is not a God who stays in the harbor. A God is a God who goes to sea with new destinations in mind. How much more the church, if I can push this metaphor even further, The church who I would equate to being like the Coast Guard, whose mission, whose very mission is to go to sea to rescue people in peril out there. How much crazier then is it as a Christian to stay in the harbor when our entire purpose from God is out there? My experience, though, is that most churches prefer to stay in the harbor. Because when you stay in the harbor, people don't get mad. When you stay in the harbor, everyone is okay. Because the harbor is safe, it's predictable, it's the way it's been. Oh, certainly maybe there isn't a sense of excitement there, there isn't a sense of adventure there, there isn't a sense of growth there, but but no one's really making waves when you just stay in the harbor. No one gets mad about staying in the harbor. No one leaves who's been in the harbor for 20 years because they don't like the harbor in the 21st. I find many Christians prefer the harbor too. It doesn't rock the boat. You stay in the harbor, you know what to expect tomorrow, you know what to expect next week, you know what to expect a year from now. You can lay your life plans according to the way you want them to be and control many things around you. And life just seems to drift through that pattern aimlessly because it is safe and predictable and it doesn't cost too much or demand too much. I heard an amazing metaphor or description of how this gets acclimated with Christians, that at some level, what it is is we say we want God, but we only want a couple pounds of him. Five dollars worth of Jesus please. It's been said that too many Americans, and I think the same holds true for many in the church worldwide, but let's talk about us today, that too many Americans have been inoculated with just enough Christianity to prevent us from catching the real thing. There's this poem by Wilbur Reese I want to read to you today. 
that I think describes this. I would like to buy $5 worth of Jesus, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a foreigner or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $5 worth of Jesus, please. Of course, you could put this another way. Let me read it again. I would like to buy $5 worth of Jesus, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me change my patterns or alter my life. I want the ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $5 worth of Jesus, please. Maybe I'm describing you today. You know, we've been using this metaphor for the past five weeks of going out to sea, waves, catching the wave, the waves that God sends, the opportunities, all of this. But you know, at its core, what this metaphor of, of the wave or the open sea or this metaphor from the poem is really about is something I think far different than most of us assume. What we're really talking about here is obedience. Ugly word, right? Here's what I mean. I want to read this passage to you from Jesus today. In John 14, he says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. To Jesus, love of God, love of him, is equated to obedience. If you love him, you do what he says. If you love him, you do what he wants. If you love him, you sacrifice of yourself to please him and follow his way. It's kind of like the basic core kernel of what the disciple journey looks like for a Christian once Jesus has saved them from peril at sea. What we're talking about with going out to sea and what we're talking about in poems like this it's this call to obedience that God makes on each of you. That you'd love him. And that that love would motivate you to do what he asks. The path of that, though, I find, looks different for each of us. Because the thing is with God is that he will meet you exactly where you're at. You know, throughout our entire lives, God has us on a journey at sea. Like it or not, we're there. And some of us resist it, and some of us try to fight it, and some of us try to kind of swim back across the currents into the harbor, but his current is pushing. His current is nudging and pushing each of us our whole life long to greater and greater obedience. But depending where you're at in the water, those next steps will look different for you. For some of us, it's God calling us 
to some act of going out of our comfort zone to do something we ordinarily wouldn't do. For others of us, it's denying ourselves of a passion or pleasure that's become a vice and disciplining ourselves out of love for him. It will often involve a step to something greater, doing it more, doing it better for him. Stepping out when you're afraid to speak. Biting your tongue when you're rash. Helping someone when you normally turn the other way. Acts of sacrifice, service, generosity. Think of all the ways that God calls us to be obedient to him. That's what he's calling us to on the water. If you love me, You'll obey my teachings. And he goes on to say, and my father will love him and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. No, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The Holy Spirit, I love how Gwen put it, is in the business of propelling us forward. But the real trick for you is going to be discerning and praying and wrestling with God, what are you calling me to? Because I could certainly list on the screen a thousand things in general, but by listing a thousand things, none of them will become reality. No, start with what it is today. What is God churning in you? Let me share some stories. All of these true Things that I've seen of ways that God has propelled people forward on these waves in obedience to him. I think of the story I heard of this kid who was given $100 at Christmas by his grandma. And he came to church and he felt this voice conviction prompting. I never know the right language for this. Do any of us? But you know what I mean. Put it in. He described to me the terror. He wanted it. He wanted it. It was his. But without fighting or browbeating or nagging or complaining, just this conviction that God was calling him to generosity. I remember hearing the story of how hard it was for him to just drop it in and that it wasn't about like funding a program or, or fulfilling something. No, it was just something God was calling him to do. One small thing, but a giant thing for him out of the harbor and into sea. Would you agree? I remember this person telling me, but a secret that they had kept from their spouse for decades. And it was devastating and it was tearing them up. And coming to this point of abject terror and fear where they sensed God was calling them to confess it, 
to confess it to this person they pledged themselves to, not knowing what it would do to their relationship, not knowing what it would mean for the future of their marriage, but knowing that God was calling them out of the harbor zone, out of the harbor and into sea, and describing to me (laughs) the fear of going beyond the breakwater, but doing it and witnessing the freedom. The new level of journey that had never been there in the relationship or their walk with God because they simply chose to obey by bringing it out of the darkness and into the light. It might sound like a small thing, but for them it was a huge step out of their comfort zone and going to sea. I think of people here in our own church who had sense stirring that God was calling them to something different, to something less that they believed God would say was truly something more, leaving stability and career money and home, even family. To follow a prompt of God to serve somewhere, I think of Elaine Filter who went to Africa. I think of Jason who went to Hong Kong. I think of my own story in ministry, but not just professional ministry people. I think of so many people who have sensed it in other ways. God's calling me out of this and into that. I don't know what that's gonna mean, but I feel like I'm in the harbor here and God wants me out there, even if it's for some reasons I don't yet understand. That Abraham call, pick up and go to the land that I'll show you. And not even knowing what it means, but trusting him every step of the way. I I think of stories of people who have chosen to forgive. People who have been so wounded and hurt, even betrayed by people, sometimes so close to them. Carrying around an anger and a deserved one, a righteous one, if I can put it that way, but sensing that God is calling me to let this go, to let this injustice go, to take the wound, to allow the pain, choosing to forgive and how it cost them everything in their soul, the terror, the fear, the uncertainty of what it would mean to live and feel without that burning there anymore and to risk the vulnerability. Instead, that's big open water, isn't it? The stories I've heard of people who always sat in back corners and back shadowed rows, afraid to be seen, afraid to be known, willing to speak up for someone being treated unfairly, or even simple things, willing to let it be known that they love God and that the demand 
of that love was obedience, to let it be known, to no longer hide their beliefs, their devotions. I've even seen in the simplest ways of here, when people have come to a place of loving God but embarrassed to speak, embarrassed to sing, forcing themselves in a song to do one of these. You know those moments, don't you? When God is stirring but you don't want to stick out. And in those moments it might even seem from other people to be a small insignificant thing but big water. Big water. I promise you God is calling you to see. There is a path of obedience where the spirit is seeking to propel you forward to follow him. From young couples who have chosen to deny themselves to people who have stepped out in faith to others who have lived in generosity to those who have just made steps of obedience. Letting the waves of the spirit move them rather than bob them further and further into see, It's what God wants to do with you. It's where God is bringing you. You can spend your life resisting him, but I'll tell you what I've learned. Each of us has two choices. When God picks a fight with you and wants to bring you somewhere, you can fight him back your entire life and resist him and be absolutely miserable. Or you can finally say, I quit, I give in, I'm doing it your way. And get on with it. You can spend your entire life fighting against God's current. Swimming back to harbor against it. He'll let you. But I'll tell you this, it's exhausting. And it doesn't really get you any place. Or you could see where God is moving, where the way of Jesus is taking you. And partner with it and start to kick and start to stroke and start to swim and hop up on that board and surf the wave and see what God has in store. This, this is what it's all about. And what the path of discipleship, I think, looks like. In each of those stories I've shared, why did they do it? Why did they do it? I can tell you, and I can tell you this because I talked to these people. They did it for this. Because they loved him. They didn't do it because they were afraid that God was going to be angry at them. They didn't do it because they were afraid God was going to leave them. They didn't do it because they were afraid that when they stood at the pearly gates someday, God was going to ask them questions and they weren't going to be able to answer if they did these rites and be found left out. No, they did it because they loved him. Why do you do all the crazy things you do in life for the people in your life? It's because you love them, isn't it? They did it because they loved him. And they took those steps because each of them made the decision to make God their number one focus. Because it's easy when you go out into big water and it gets scary to start looking back, to start checking the sidelines, to start 
glancing at the harbor and filling yourself with doubt and asking, isn't it better back there? No, the people who have finally come to step did it because they made God their number one focus. And if you're struggling on the waves and in the harbor today, devote yourself to that, to fix your eyes on him as the number one thing and saying, I'm tunnel visioning in and following you. Because what I found is when you do that, when you do that, you step out of the harbor and onto the big waves. How does Jesus put this in Matthew 11? Did you hear it? When Gwen read it earlier today, it says this. The kingdom of heaven is advancing forcefully and forceful people take hold of it. God wants you to take an offensive mindset when it comes to obedience with him. You can't just drift along in this. He wants you to seize it, to go for it, to follow him and to devote yourself to saying, God, I will obey you because I love you. Lord, big water, big waves. Welcome to the Christian journey. It's crazy. It's right of your life.